Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. I'm your host, Jason Tardik, and welcome to the pre-market trading segment. Where we're going to talk a little bit about what you can expect from today's guest, something you should know going into this week with the market, and a little update from my personal life. I'm going to jump right to my personal life. I am doing this live right here on my birthday week. My birthday is October 24th, so to all my Scorpio kings and queens out there, you get me, you know me. It's the birthday week, but I'm here in Barcelona, and my God, did I just have the best week of my entire life. We landed in Barcelona. We had a great time here. We took a cruise with Virgin Voyages. Now, listen, I'm not the biggest cruise guy. I am now a big cruise guy, and the expectations that I had set for Virgin were all exceeded. The people, the food, the cleanliness, the luxury, the convenience, the service, everything was a 12 out of 10. It was amazing. But we stopped in Cannes. We went to Marseille. And then we went to Ibiza. Ibiza. That's how you say it. I had the best dinner of my life. Yes, we did the clubs. Yes, mom and dad came to the clubs with me. Said they were coming for one drink. But they stayed until 3.30 in the morning. And we had the best time in Europe. So that's a little update from my personal life. It was a week I will never forget. And if you have any questions about the Virgin Voyages, just shoot me a DM and I'll tell you all about it. Okay, now let's get into our guest. Our guest, your rich BFF, Vivian Two. Wow. Talk about a money maker and shaker. She is absolutely destroying, destroying the influencing game. But this is by no surprise. You know, when you back into some of these people who've had a lot of success in different areas, you start to realize they just find ways to win. And today, what you're going to get with your rich BFF is a lot of things. You're going to get some tips and tricks that the rich use that all of us should be using. So you're going to walk away with some finance tips, but you're also going to learn about her career track. She went to University of Chicago, one of the best business schools in the entire planet. Then she becomes a Wall Street girly. Then she actually gets into sales. You're going to learn how she actually made more in sales than she did in Wall Street. So you're going to hear the dollars and cents between her entire career path from selling to being on Wall Street to now influencing. She is absolutely crushing it. Now, one thing you got to know going into this week, you guys are all feeling it. I'm feeling it. The cost of everything has increased significantly. But one big article that just came out is that the average premiums for single and family health coverage jumped nearly 7% in 2023. When we look at past years in 2023, family average premiums, $23,968. Single average premiums, $8,435. What I'm telling you is that the premiums for healthcare coverage, family or single are up significantly. One thing that you should do is make sure that you are paying attention to your medical bills, to your medical spend. Understand the plan you're on and make sure that plan is right for you given your spend because the increase in healthcare costs are very material. They will impact your dollar. And one of the number one reasons people have to claim bankruptcy in this country is because of the cost of healthcare. So be aware of it, be on top of it. And I'm sure you guys all heard the news that we have seen mortgage rates now topple over 8%. It's here. I heard this from Ryan Serhant and I love this tip. You can negotiate your interest rate. When those interest rates go down, you can refinance. You can't negotiate the purchase price of your home. So right now, home prices are down. And his point was, if you're looking to buy, buy now because those prices are lower than they'll be in quite some time. And as a result of it, you can negotiate that interest rate, but you cannot, cannot negotiate what you end up buying your home for in five years from now. So that being said, 
Enough of me talking from Barcelona. Enough of this Euro J. Let's get into the one and only Your Rich BFF, Vivian 2. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today, I am joined by former investment trader who left a $600,000 salary on Wall Street for a career as a personal finance content creator. Is that not the most 2023 line of all time? <laughs> and many of you know and may know her better as social media persona, your rich BFF, Vivian Tu. Over the past few years, Vivian has gained popularity on social media for sharing financial advice on investing money and building wealth. Between TikTok and Instagram, she has generated over 6 million followers who she calls the leftovers, for whom she wants to share the lessons she learned on Wall Street and offer her best personal finance tips and tricks to readers of all ages and demographics. Her mantra, anyone can get rich, whether you grew up knowing the rules of the game or not. I fucking love that. We are going <laughs> to learn how Vivian's career as a trader left. She was burnt out. She transitioned into social media. It is a wild space. She is here for full-time and some of her top tricks and tips from her first book that is now a pre-sale, Rich AF, which is slated to be released December 26. We'll tell you where to get a copy. Vivian, thank you so much for being here on Trading Secrets. Thank you so much for having me and I'm ready to trade some secrets. Let's trade some secrets. <laughs> I love every single bit of your mantra I am fully aligned with. We are here to give the secrets to the individuals that may not have gotten them or the individuals at the top are keeping from them. Mm -hmm. So. I'm going to just start out right from this. I saw your last post. Yeah. You said you weren't born rich, but you said your children will be. And you 100%. had three tips. I'd be mm -hmm. remiss if I didn't just start out with that. What were the three tips that you will provide to your children that di you didn't have growing up? I was very lucky in that my parents did help me out during college. I had a credit card, but I started kind of late, like 18 or so. Really rich people, what they do is they make their kids an authorized user on their credit card. So when you're a responsible credit card user and you pay off your balance every single month, your kid literally just leeches onto <laughs> your good credit score. So by the time they're 18 or 21 and they're starting to look at buying a car or getting an apartment or doing something on their own or getting a really fancy credit card, like they're gonna have a credit score in the 800s. Like yeah. I don't even have a credit score in the 800 right now because <laughs> you know I made a lot of mistakes when I was a young person, but yeah. I'm hoping my kids won't have to do that. I would say number two, definitely, definitely consider a 529 account. Love that. This is essentially an investment account that you are able to put money into and then select investments and that money grows and you can use it for education costs. And we are in New York City right now, you know, Ooh. private school. That shit's expensive. That shit is it's expensive. It's so expensive. Well, in Nashville too, I'll figure out my relationship one day. I end up getting married and having kids and I want to send them to school. I'd want to send them to private school in Nashville. And it's like, it's ridiculous how expensive it is. And then imagine your kid gets into Vanderbilt. Yep. And that's a what? sixty, seventy thousand dollars yeah. a year expense? It's it ain't nuts. cheap. It's so not cheap. you got to prep for that. And that way you're not taking money straight out of like a checking account. You're taking it out of your 529 account, which has state tax benefits mm -hmm. in 35-ish states. Yep. Um, and on top of that, if it doesn't end up getting completely used for their college education, you can actually roll $35,000 of it into a Roth IRA for your kid. So not only are you helping them with school, you're helping them with retirement. The third is opening up a custodial Roth IRA. Yep. So say you're my son yep. and you're mowing lawns in the summer, you are using the snow plow, you know, our neighbors are getting their driveways completely shoveled and you're starting to make some money. Yep. And we can then take that money, put it into a custodial Roth IRA. And this is the big thing that people mm -hmm. don't get. You don't have to be rich to invest. You don't have to be rich to become a millionaire. The earlier you start, the easier it is. And the less Damn. you gotta put in. So if, you know, 
little Jason is putting money into this account at 10, 12, 13 years old, mm-hmm. you're not going to have to put nearly as much in right. and you'll be totally set by retirement. Millionaire. That guaranteed. Is, that is three great tips right there. And you'll be a millionaire guaranteed time. It's literally mm-hmm. all about time. There And there are so many other tips and tricks too. Like I know, you know, I would always re- recommend people talk to their accountant, their CPA, but even putting your kids on your payroll is yeah, an option based exactly. on if they're ch- helping you with your marketing or yeah. whatever it may be. So, I mean, there are so many tips and tricks. Let's go to this. Those are three things that yeah. you'll do for your kids. What are three things that someone back home says, you know what, that's all nice. I don't have kids right mm-hmm. now, but what are some things I could do today to try and get wealthier faster? What would you suggest? Ooh, okay. First and foremost, everybody like shits on me for this, but I say you have to ask for a 10 to 15% raise every damn year. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you'll get one every single year, but if you are not getting a raise or promotion every two years, it has been proven through research that you will make 50% less over your lifetime. Totally. So I have this method, it's called upper out. Every two years, you got to move up mm. or you got to get out. That's a Wall Street girl, right? Yeah, there. <laughs> that's right. Because if you're not making money, what are you doing? You yeah. got to be learning or earning, ideally both. And if you're not making that money, like, come on, what's Talk, the point? I get that. I mean, like, I'm really money, money motivated, yeah. but like, I think you are too. Oh, 100%. Like, that's all I'm motivated by. It's, like, I was pulling out my own teeth, like, yeah. as a child to get tooth fairy money. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, we're good. Like, I don't need this anymore. Yeah. Um, but so many people yeah. are afraid of that conversation. They don't step into the conversation because they don't step into the conversation. Not only are they facing that impact today based on cash flow, but it's years and years from them, right? I mean, you're talking yeah. about 50% less. That is huge. That's a huge amount of money. And the thing is, is if you're putting 10 to 15 percent in their ear they're thinking about it they may say no they may meet you in the middle maybe it's five percent but your boss will always be continuing to think about it. and i can tell you this when he's pressed to make that PL more profitable he is not going to be showing up to your doorstep to give you a raise so if right. you don't ask for it it's not coming totally and two other tips first and foremost nobody does this okay. but if you want to improve your credit score yep everybody's like, okay so I'll, I'll spend less money i'll like do something that's like really annoying no you're gonna call your credit card company you'll be like bro i want a credit limit increase mm-hmm. because people forget that a big big factor of credit score is credit utilization yes. meaning how much of your credit limit you're using and one factor is how much you're spending right you could spend less but it's a fraction it's how much you're spending over how much you're getting mm-hmm. what's your credit limit and so if you make the bottom if you make the bottom number bigger you can then spend the same amount and the percentage of your utilization is still less. So I call my credit card company every six to 12 months and I'm like, yo, (laughs) I wanna increase. And they're like, okay, like, what do you want? Mm -hmm. And I typically ask for three to $5,000 additional and I just keep building it and building it. And now every single month, I'm utilizing less than 10% of my credit limit. And that is- sweet spot like that is it's just building your credit spot. spot it's a sweet spot i always like when people get confused on that what i say is like all right remember when you're a kid and it, mom and dad would be like be home by 10 o'clock <laughs> right so like or be home by 11 o'clock right yeah and if you showed up home at like nine o'clock mom and dad would be like oh shit like that's a good kid right good there. kid you do nine o'clock like three weekends in a row, they're not going to give you that curfew anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, we just trust you. Yeah, but right? if you so, show up at 10.59, yep. three weeks in a while, they're like, actually, yeah. you know what? 11's not working for us anymore. You got to be home by 10. 10.30. 10.30. Yeah. 10, 10, 9, 9.30. Yeah, yeah. That's how I've always learned concepts. And that's how I've learned that people like really gravitate towards them. That is a great tip. That was number two, though. Number two. Number three. I think this is a big one. In particular, creators like us could actually really benefit is talking about money. So Love that. I think 
for so long we've all been really shy about mm -hmm. being like how much do you make yeah like just fucking tell me <laughs> <laughs> like you know i think it's important for all of us to be talking about money because talking about money is not rude mm -hmm. it's not embarrassing it's not taboo it's just been marketed as such to all of us for like generations for generations, generations. right but if you go to the nicest country club in your town you will see two balding gray-haired guys <laughs> teeing off smoking cigars having a beer and talking about their investment portfolios talking about how much they got paid to their hedge fund that year mm -hmm. why is it cool for them to do it but it's not cool for people like you and me to do it right exactly so i just think it's really important talk to your friends about money ask them what they're getting paid if you find out that your friend makes more money than you your friend doesn't suddenly make less, but you now have the opportunity to go ask for more. The list is endless when you can get comfortable talking about money because mm -hmm. it can help you navigate everything, your challenges, your successes, all the things you're overcoming. And those two guys that are sitting there with a cigar playing golf and I've yeah. seen them, I've watched them. In fact, <laughs> I've been in that group and I've heard them. Yeah. The thing is, is that they've now gotten so comfortable with it because they have so much to mm -hmm. talk about, right? It's a, it's a braggadocious, typically egotistical thing, unless they're sharing ideas. And if they are sharing ideas, it's educational based. And so what I would tell you is when you can get over the fact that Almost everyone has some type of money issue in some capacity. Oh. Every single person has some kind of crutch. Get over it, have the conversations, and realize everyone's got a little bit of embarrassment in them when totally. it comes to it. So we gotta we gotta get comfortable. I mean, with you've that. seen you've seen it happen, right? Like in those super fancy gated communities, oh, yeah. all of a sudden you see a moving truck outside of one of those big ass homes and they're like, Oh, what happened? Like, oh, Lacey's dad got, you know, indicted on a white collar crime and now their whole family is completely, you know, zero money. Sure. They've got to move out of the house. They can't afford the mortgage. They're not going on vacation. They're going to have to go somewhere. Like they have to move back in with the grandparents. Like it happens. Yeah, totally. No matter what level of finance you're at, people are insecure. People make mistakes yep. and people have something to learn. Yep. There are setbacks or wins. You got to talk through them. I want to talk about one of your wins. Forbes 30 mm -hmm. under 30, extremely impressive social media in 2023. When I say Forbes 30 under 30 and we go back to Vivian when you were 20 years old, did you ever think it was going to be in the social media space? No, never. Did oh you my... think it could have been in the uh, it... trading investment banking space? At 20, I want to be honest, I was underage drinking and throwing up in the back of like an alley. <laughs> so I don't know if I had any thoughts. Oh, like you Chicago. Two, she, I had like University of Chicago student here. You were studying every day. <laughs> no, come on now. <laughs> okay, um, so you're having some fun. But yeah. then you graduate yeah. and you get picked up by JP Morgan. Mm -hmm. Tell me what the vision was for your career at that point. You know, when you go to a school like UChicago and there is just like wealth that you would never ever seen before in your entire life. like. There were people who were coming in to the first day of classes and it'd be like, oh, like, where are you from? Like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, yeah, like, my family owns this island. I'd be like, oh, okay, sick. Like, my family doesn't own an <laughs> island, but that's that's cool. Yeah. Um, and I think there's kind of like three main paths that people go down. You either go into medicine, you go into law, or you go into finance. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I was very fortunate in that I got a lot of scholarships for school. My parents helped me out with, you know, uh, paying off a lot of uh, the student uh, costs that I would have had otherwise. I didn't have to take on any debt, but I knew for a fact that I did not have a trust fund waiting for me after I graduated. Mm -hmm. I was not going to be able to, you know, be idle rich. Yeah. I had to make a lot of money if I wanted to live the lifestyle that I wanted to live. Mm -hmm. So. You know, when all of my peers started interviewing for Wall Street jobs, I was like, seems like a good enough excuse to do it as 
as any people who are like oh yeah like i really am interested in financial market like shut the fuck up no yeah. you got that job because you want to get paid <laughs> that's like, it don't like don't flex like if you want if you really cared about financial markets you would have gone into academia yeah, we all exactly. we all came here for the paycheck 100 percent. well you said you either go into medicine law or finance this is university of chicago one of the best universities in the country why is it that the student base is born and bred to think that money right it's money but it's also like prestige and respect too. the guarantee of a stable life i do think a large population of the students that go to u chicago do come from money got it like so they've seen it work right they've seen their parents be doctors their parents be traders bankers um lawyers whatever and they've seen that like blueprint work yep. so they're like okay if this has worked for my parents it's going to work for me and in some cases that is very true I would say in other cases, it's students like myself and frankly, even students who came from lower income backgrounds than mm -hmm. myself, but like they would see like, okay, if I do this, I can have this life that a lot of these of my peers have come from. Got it. Everybody wants to be able to afford their lifestyle. My great grandfather, he was an immigrant told that my grandfather wanted to be a singer and an actor yeah and, right and he goes no 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 no. in this family you're gonna be he's yeah. an accountant you're yeah gonna be an attorney mm -hmm. or you're gonna be a doctor exactly that's your only option because they're tried and true and like maybe you don't get to become that superstar or be your own boss like you and i are now but mm -hmm. like you're pretty much guaranteed a decent life yeah right like you're gonna make enough money to meet all your needs you'll get to go on vacation twice a year you'll be able to eventually buy a home is it a mansion no but you'll be able to buy a home you'll be able to have that two and a half kids golden retriever white picket fence house so tire it's, swing it's the it's the american security the Correct. american dream security right. and i do think that dream is changing a little bit as we talk oh. about all, so different, much. all different industries, how people are doing it, the way creators are making money. We just had some doctors on recently where they're talking about how reimbursements are getting squeezed. So every other mm. industry that you consider a professional, they are, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, their income is changing dramatically. Oh, they're like, we're working more, we're building more credibility. Prices of everything, the people, the cost of goods, all going up, reimbursements at the government level are being squeezed, they're making less. So we'll mm -hmm. see how that changes. It is changing. Let's get back to you. You land a job with JP more yeah. income out of school for people back home that hear about people on wall street and wall street <laughs> bankers and traders how, what per, like how hard is it actually to get into wall street because everyone says it's like breaking down barriers yeah is i'm not it? gonna lie it's hard it's very very hard and why is it so hard because there's only a certain number of seats but u chicago is not the only feeder school you got people who go to Harvard and Princeton and Yale and like every single Ivy League school plus the other top 25 that are yeah. all vying for these spots. And the exact same pool of people from UChicago where I went to school who want that job. There's a pool of that at every single university, but there's only like six or seven major investment banks. And so you got the top, like I would say like, we'll call them A squads, like cheer squad, okay? Yep. You got A squad, like the, you know, JP Morgan's, Goldman's, Morgan yeah. Stanley's of the world. And then you've got kind of like B squad, you've got like more middle market funds, then you've got like yep. the boutiques. And then like, there's a whole nother reality here where you just go straight to a hedge fund, which is also very, very difficult. Yeah. Is it almost impossible if you didn't go to an Ivy League school to break into this world? I won't say it's impossible. Okay. It is incredibly difficult. So my fiance, yeah. actually he and I have two very different paths. I went to a feeder school. I was a great student, got a good GPA, went through a traditional on-campus recruiting route, did the interviews, got the job. My fiance went to iowa state so very much you know yeah. middle americana not anywhere near a coast sure big big state school 
no major financial feeder program. Okay. And he was the first person in, I want to say 10 to 15 years that had gotten a Wall Street job out wow, of high school. And interesting. I asked him how he did it. He has to say number one hack. What do you think it yeah. was? Well, I asked him and he said, well, I was in a fraternity and I looked up fraternity brothers mm. at all of the Ivy League schools at all of the top 10 universities who had just graduated and gotten those jobs. Okay. And I asked to get coffee with them. I literally cold DM them on LinkedIn and was like, let me buy you coffee. And then he would fly out to New York on like some rinky dink like budget airline and sleep on a friend's couch and then he would take all of these guys out pay for coffee and he would do his best to make a really good impression and that way and it was like the first year second year analysts Mm -hmm. and associates and when it came time to do resume pulls they would recognize his resume pull his resume so he would at least get an interview an interview and then he was like once i got to the interview then you know, he's like, I just had to like show out and show, like show up and show out. Of course, yeah. But he did get the job. See guys, there's even ways to shortcut Wall Street. That is one of them. Yeah. But you didn't shortcut. You went to a feeder school. Yeah. You land the job. You start at JP. Mm-hmm. What do they offer you out of school? So I got a $10,000 signing bonus, relocation bonus. Okay. So that was the money to like move from Chicago to New York. Then I think my first year salary, I want to say it was like eighty, eighty-five thousand dollars. Okay. You know, when you introduce me, everybody gets that six hundred thousand yeah, dollar number and they're yeah. getting really excited. Sure. I didn't get that on Wall Street. I got that at my tech job. Oh, no way. Yeah. See, that's another changing landscape. Yeah. Right there. People people think that I made so much money on Wall Street. I was there for two and a half years. Okay. I was an analyst. So I will admit, like the lowest rung of the totem pole. But I started to realize that I was never going to make 80s Wolf of Wall Street money. Like I wanted to be pounding my chest and like, you know, going crazy in the office, popping champagne. Like that was not happening for me. I wanted that. I literally wanted that because I was like, that sounds really fun. That like scene in Wolf of Wall Street (laughs) is out of control. It's just absolutely out of control. It's so Hollywood. It's so ridiculous. It's it's insane. But I wanted to be throwing bills off of my yacht. And... I came to the realization like that wasn't going to happen. And what year did you do that? How many years in like the trading space did you do that? Uh, I was probably two years. And when I realized I was like, oh shit, this okay. is not the 80s anymore. Because. And at two years, how much were you making? My second year, I want to say I made like 115 all in. Okay. Which is like great money. Yeah, Don't get me wrong. Yeah. That's a six figure salary from the, like from jump. Like I recognize some people in their entire lifetime will never make 115. But keep sure. in mind. I'm living in Manhattan. Yeah. I can only afford to live so far from the office in Midtown because I have to be in my seat at 5.45 in the morning. Not even just like wake up at 5.45. I have to be there at 5.45. So I'm waking up at like 4.45, 5. And then I'm working until Bell closes 4. And then I'm probably doing some cleanup, you know, P&L work until 5.36. Then being a woman on Wall Street, there was such an expectation that I would be at every social event be like oh the girl's gonna come we're gonna bring the girl the new little baby hedge fund trader is gonna like us better because we have a girl and be like okay sick like they always sat me next to some baby trader at that hedge fund to like curry favor yeah and i was like damn i'm like out till eight nine ten at night Uh just for me to like run home try to immediately fall asleep and like wake up at rinse repeat rinse repeat and so i wasn't making enough to justify that i was giving up so much of it to taxes and i looked at 
the very, very top person on my team. And I was like, roughly, I think I have an understanding of what you're making. How much do you think it was? Shot just like a hair short of a stick, a million bucks. Okay. A stick, is that a, a stick. thing? Yeah. Never heard of that. Yeah. Wow. Um, what is the stick? A stick is just like a million. I've and never like, heard of that. Yeah. A yard is a billion. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right. There you go. So like 10 sticks, 10 million. <laughs> Is that the deal? I don't know if I've heard people say 10 sticks. Uh, I'm making shit up now. Yeah. All right. But okay, keep I going. was like, okay, a good trader doesn't, not the head of the desk, but like somebody who's good at their job yeah. is roughly making about a million bucks a year. Okay. And that's great. But in New York City, you're giving up half. Half's gone. Immediately. Yeah. yeah. And on top of that, you know, you're still probably living in an apartment. You don't have a backyard. Yeah. No place for your dog to run around. Your kid has to go to a private school. And I, I started to like, spiral and in you're my still thinking. working how many hours a week you think that guy's working? the oldest guy on the desk wasn't working that much less than me yes like which they is were around still how i was probably pulling closer to 80 they were probably cl pulling closer to like 60 still 65. i'm like that's a lot of work yeah. and for me to sit there for 14 hours next to somebody and being like every hour that i'm here i have no one at home waiting for me but like you have like a family and children that don't see you during that time right. you're spending more time with me than you are with your family yeah but i had the most amazing mentor when I first got to Wall Street, she was fucking just bad bitch. I wanted to be yeah, her so yeah, bad. Yeah. And so I told my mentor, I was like, girly pop, like I'm out of here. I'm quitting tomorrow. And she's like, don't do that. So she helped me like basically devise a plan of like, you should be interviewing here. You should be doing that. And she's like, oh, by the way, I have a girlfriend. She started her career at Goldman. Now she's in the media tech space. Do you have any interest? I was like, I will go do anything. Yeah. Like I will literally go mop floors instead of this job. <laughs> and so, I had a meeting with her and the rest is history. I ended up getting a job offer to work at BuzzFeed. I know, that's a wild transition. I know. I didn't know anything when I showed up day one. I was like, oh, fuck. What have I gotten myself into? Um, but it ended up being the best decision uh, I could have possibly What were you made. doing at BuzzFeed? So I worked on the brand strategy sales team. So You go from trading on Wall Street to brand strategy sales? Honestly, it's the same shit because on Wall Street, I was picking up the phone, calling asset managers and hedge funds and being yeah. like, oh yeah, you should definitely be looking at this name today. We're seeing some good results like from earnings, like the analysts feel like it's likely going to trade up today, sure. likely going to tick higher, or um, don't think this is necessarily a buy at the moment, blah, 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 blah. like just like, you know, peddling research, yeah. peddling ideas, of course. talking shop. And when I moved to BuzzFeed, it was the exact same thing, except I was picking up phones and calling clients at agencies who are pr people or media people or you know social people and being like you know you should definitely consider buzzfeed like we are able to reach this many people this type of audience like this is going to be really great for your brand da, 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 da. it's just sales so the 600k you made was at buzzfeed not buzzfeed. on wall street buzzfeed was that from commissions like landing big deals so my last year at buzzfeed i think the total was like 625 and I want to say only 110 of that was salary. So all that was, so for people out there that don't go to Ivy League school, they mm -hmm. don't have that finance background, they mm -hmm. don't have the 3.9, they can't break into Wall Street. <laughs> if they could sell on the phone oh, and yeah, hustle, baby. they could be making 625. Well, what I loved about the BuzzFeed job was on Wall Street, your bonus at the end of the year is based on how your desk did. So Interesting. if the market was bad in your space, if equities was in a bad place that year, I wasn't going to get paid even if I was the greatest analyst associate on planet Earth. Sure. If you work in credit and that year for some reason or other, it's just really not moving, like you're not doing anything, you're not going to get paid, even if you were smart, even if you worked hard. Right. Whereas in my BuzzFeed job, 
I knew that if I sent 10 more emails than the person who sat next to me, I was going to more likely to get paid. If I stayed an extra 30 minutes or if I took one more client out to coffee that week or if I just made one more phone call or if I just like put together a deck in 15 minutes, just shooted it over to know, you know, one agency rep, just like one more time. If I did one more thing, it always led to more results for me. So I was like, I can eat what I kill. Yeah. And that's when I decided I was like, oh, I can do this. Like, I'm going to make it rain. Yeah. And when I started getting that, you know, motion, that forward momentum, I was like, oh, this is going to be the down payment of my house. Like, we are going to make some real money. I love how conventional your path was and how unconventional <laughs> it's become. But also in the unconventional beauty of it, your income has gone up uh -huh. each rung of the ladder. Oh, I'm yeah. not even going to ask. I already know that you're making more now than you are at BuzzFeed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So think about that. All the steps that you but took. But I wasn't when I left my job. Yeah. I only left my job because I had been able to forecast the first half of the year. And I was like, okay, I think I can roughly make like half of what I had made at my BuzzFeed job. At and this I was point, like, how many followers and stuff? Just to give people context of like where you were at in your social media journey. Um, I would say probably like a million followers on TikTok and like literally like 250,000 followers on Instagram. Okay. And now I have almost 2 million on Instagram, two and a half on TikTok. Like, it was kind of a gamble, yeah. right, at the time. Because, like, I'm looking around and I'm like, there are people who have so many more followers. Sure, like, sure. And they're monetizing, sure. But, like, I'd, I'd seen the stats. Like, yeah. only 4% like, of creators can actually make a living from doing what they love to do. And of that 4%, only a teeny tiny fraction can make a really good living. Most people are just skimming, skimming slightly above the poverty by. line. Yep. And so I was like, okay, I have to do some financial modeling here. And so I was looking at how much I was getting paid from the platforms, how much I was getting paid from brand deals, how much I was getting paid to go speak at places. And I was like forecasting out. I was like, okay, for the first half of, you know, the year, I'm going to, you know, make roughly 100, 150 thou. And that's great because if that stays the same, I would assume it would for the rest of the year, I would make half as much as I had been making on, at BuzzFeed. Got it. And that was really reassuring to me because I was like, nobody starves on $300,000 a year. Yeah, sure. At that level of income, I'm still going to be able to pay my rent. I'm still going to be able to buy food. I'm still going to be able to go on vacation, still going to be able to do all the things that I want to do. And it's not going to change my lifestyle. Little did I know, I feel like as soon as I was able to leave my full-time job, I had 24-7 to actually focus on my business. Right. And that really, really helped supercharge and it felt like rocket fuel that i just had all this time during the week to work on your rich bff stuff because it used to be i would work monday through friday at my day job and then i would ideate all of my concepts like six or seven concepts on saturday i would like write them out like type out a little scripts and then on sunday i would film them so i would put on an outfit i would film it and then i would take the outfit off put on a new <laughs> outfit put on a new outfit so people thought i was making a video every day i was shooting them all back yeah. to back to back one of the things I want to make sure I touch on too for people out there that are trying to, you know, back into creating or thinking yeah. about the creator economy, it is so hard to forecast and model what you'll do and how much you'll make too because there is no comparables. Yeah. There are so many different things that people put value on and don't put value on. And there's some from the agency that we work with. We've seen people with 10 million followers that have no PR power and we can't get anything for them. And we've seen people that have like 30,000 followers. They have massive PR uh, power and they get these huge offers. It's so hard to back in 
into what will come, how much will come, what the rate will come, and comparing it to others in the in the marketplace. I call um, us football players, NFL football players. Yeah. Because you get like, in my mind, you can only be the flavor of the day or the flavor of the moment yeah. for so long. Yeah. And like in the NFL, you get like five good years, then you blow yeah. out a knee and you're done. You're done. Yeah. yeah. And I think for those of us in this space who are making really good lucrative money, like it's more imperative for us than anybody to be really smart about it because you don't get 40 years like an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor does. Yep. Because how many influencers do you know? And frankly, the industry hasn't even been around that long. But like, right. how many influencers do you know get 40 years? None. Yeah, I can't no. even name one. No, Unless so you're hard. able to make yourself yeah. irreplaceable, yeah. become a real, either a real celebrity or yeah. on-screen talent yeah. or become a writer who writes book after book after book <laughs> or become a podcast star who yeah. has podcast series, like season after season after season. Like, you don't have staying power. Yeah. So you got to be really smart about where you're putting your time and effort because otherwise, like, you're, you're only hot for a second. So the natural question there, and it goes to your forecasting model when you were looking at your different revenue streams are based on your revenue streams, where are you putting your energy for creative output so that you can keep those streams consistent or you can get into a stream that can still be there if your engagement goes down for a month or right. two. What does it look like for you? Yeah, so for me, um, digital social media is my bread and butter. I make the vast majority of my revenue through brand partnerships, which I love because yeah. then I don't have to charge my audience for anything. Yeah. Um, you know, I have my own podcast, Net Worth and Chill. That's a new revenue stream. Obviously, the book is coming out at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. um, that's a massive new play, right? Huge. Because the people who read books are not the same people who are scrolling Instagram for eight hours a nope, day. That's different. completely different people. <laughs> and, you know, I'm working on pitching out television. I'm working on how I can get in front of the big screen because I recognize that I'm not going to be hot, mm -hmm. like the Instagram hottie, like the TikTok, mm -hmm. like favorite forever. Yeah. I am right now. I love that. I love that TikTok reaches out to me to be their face mm -hmm. for certain of their own brand campaigns. I love that they're inviting me to speak. I love that I'm doing all of these things. But I have to recognize that like, it's just not forever. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, you talked about TV, getting on the big screen. It's tough to do in the personal finance space. Mm -hmm. We have seen uh, Ramit Sethi do mm -hmm. it. He came on the show, his Netflix show blew up. What type of strategies do you have when it comes to taking something like boring finance and bringing it to Hollywood? I love Ramit. He's so nice. He's so amazing. Great. Wonderful guy. I think for me, talking about finance is still really, really dry. Mm. And, you know, I can't disclose too much, okay. but all of the stuff we're working on, all of the stuff that we're pitching talks about finance through a lens that isn't finance. Yeah. Because I want to talk about shit that people want to talk about. Mm -hmm. People that are already in the pop culture space are excited about because then people will pay attention. Yeah. In the same way that, like, there's a reason why you've noticed recently personal finance content has gotten so much more fun. Yes. You've got people putting on wigs and yeah. I'm like drawing a mustache <laughs> on my face and like people are like, ah, your mustache is funny. It's like, if I can get, get somebody's attention because I like took, you know, an eyebrow pen and drew a mustache on my face, like I look like a fool for 15 seconds, but it means that they watch the full video. Yeah. And they actually took away a concept that they otherwise wouldn't have listened to. They totally. wouldn't have cared about. Yep. And it's also why I'm like, oh, okay, like I'll put on makeup while I'm talking. And yeah. I'm like, I hate doing this because I am someone who can't even single task, much less multitask. Yeah. But if it means I can get somebody's attention, then once they're in, then I can talk to them about money, 
talk to them about finance, when they're disarmed, when they are actually paying attention, when they're focused, that I think is really, really powerful. It is powerful. And what's so cool is social media then gives you the analytics. So then you can adjust mm-hmm. your content to then tailor yep. it so that you can make sure people are engaged. And if they're not That's engaged, right. they'll get engaged. And I think the coolest thing is you're using that strategy to actually do good by people, yeah. to change their lives for the better, because these are the things that we weren't taught in school. And it's a shit that we need to know. And we need to know yesterday. Um, what I want to do though, is ask you the big trader, a stick. We learned what a stick <laughs> is. What year and have you been able to hit the stick mark based on social media as a career? In total of net worth or annual income? Annual income. Oh, yeah, baby. Let's go. As a <laughs> stick, one stick down on our way to what'd you call it, a yard? Oh, my God. No. A yard is a billion. I know, but you're on your way. Come on, girl. I have big thoughts about billionaires, though. What's your thoughts? I just don't think they should exist. Why is that? Because. I think if you can get to a billion dollars some way or another, unless it's like truly like just like a billion on paper, you like yeah. sold your company or something like yeah. people who have gotten to billionaire status, and I mean truly multi-billionaire yeah. status, like it's been on the exploitation of other people. Like people oh, who are like it's, deeply- hundred percent. Yeah. It's, like, it's impossible. It's impossible to get there. To create a billion plus of n- and not do that. Right. Absolutely right. impossible. And for me, I'm like, if you have a $1 billion, just one, one billion dollars. There is not a thing in the world you can't buy. Correct. There is, you cannot spend that money in a lifetime. Correct. We'll just name names. You know, Elon Musk. Yeah. Okay. Dude's got like 168 billion bucks. Like, yeah. what's the 167 billion doing for him? <laughs> right. Like that money would be so wild. much better off being utilized towards literally anything else. Yeah. Like, think about the people that Tesla employs. Don't you think like? Some of them are being underpaid. They have to be, yeah, right? Of course. You've got to imagine. Yeah. And I just don't think that like billionaires mm-hmm. as a concept should really exist. Like I think like if you get to a billion, like every dollar of income after that, like should be taxed at close to 100%. It is. I mean, this, we could have a whole podcast just yeah, on I know. this topic. And I, you're, you're definitely <laughs> on to something 100% here because it is a whole, it's hard to even conceptualize a billion and you think about 168 and it's just unfathomable like i think billionaires also give other people and i always say this because like people get so mad when i'm like we should all want to be rich they're like rich people suck eat the rich blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. but like the difference between a millionaire and a billion like you a can't compare the two a millionaire is closer to being homeless you than they are to being a billionaire 100 percent. they're closer to being bankrupt and homeless Correct. than being a billionaire 100 percent. there's oh we could go down a rabbit hole with this yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna end with this though because i just heard this from andrew east recently andrew east is married to sean johnson an mm-hmm. awesome awesome guy we're sitting in a sauna he's talking about a book he recently read yeah and he said taking the positive from a billionaire so we, mm-hmm. we just talked a lot about uh, the negatives and that list goes deep but the positives is if you think about if you were a billionaire, the creative ingenuity, like what would you do? So like, what's the perfect party you would throw? And you think about all the imagination, the people you would have there, the colors, how you'd fly them in, all these things. We already talked about our thoughts on it, but if you could start to like create this type of imagination for other things in your life, you'll be surprised what else creativity you could use towards your work and how that could actually get you to where you want. I only have you for so much longer, so I gotta ask you a few questions, do a little rapid fire on investing stuff, okay? Best investment you ever made. Mm, picking the right partner. Pick. Oh wow! Because finance related. Let me no. You know what it is? I dated so many fucking losers, and I thought they were winners because they worked in finance. Okay. And I was like, oh, like we're gonna have the same viewpoint on money and like all that stuff. No. Uh, I 
dated so many people who were making three times as much as I was, who were clearing, you know, just shy of a million bucks yep. and they had credit card debt. Yeah. And I was like, mm. like, how the fuck do you have credit card debt? I know. Like you make that much money. I don't make anything like that. And I don't have credit card debt. And I came to the realization that like my partner had to be someone who values a dollar the same way I do. Mm, love that. I was yeah. going to ask you, what is the number one tip that you're looking at a partner? And that's it. It's actually also a partner who supports you. There you because go. Because when I was quitting my job to become your rich BFF full time, I sat down with my fiance and I was like, uh, what if I don't make any money? Mm -hmm. What if like I can't afford my part of the rent? He was like, well, I still work my finance job. We will not starve on my income. I'll cover your part of the rent. And, mm -hmm. I, and that gave me basically a parachute to jump mm -hmm. out of the plane with. Cause I was yep. like, if things get really bad and I can't afford it, yep. I can always lean on him. Yep. And that gave me so much peace. Unfortunately, I never had to pull the parachute because yep. it's been smooth sailing. There you go. Smooth sailing. And I think, yeah, with it, you could have, you know, you could have the most badass, best finance banker number one forbes whatever in the world that is such a great human and everyone loves but if that person's not a good partner if that person won't support you then there is no validity no value to it and you're you're quite frankly fucked like yeah. you, you like <laughs> without a supportive partner you are fucked there is no partnership all right i give ten thousand dollars right now i'm sitting with a bank account i'm back home mm -hmm. i got ten thousand dollars inflation's out of control i don't know what to do with my money it's mm -hmm. earning 0.01 percent in a savings account what are some ideas that you would give me you know, if I don't have an emergency fund, I'm putting that bad boy into my emergency fund. Okay. It's a high yield savings account. I'm going to earn four to 5% in annual percentage yields. And that's a really safe place to put my emergency fund. If I've already got an emergency fund, I'm paying down high interest rate debt. That shit is mm -hmm. getting bigger and bigger, and bigger as we are talking. And most of that is credit card debt. Mm -hmm. I don't have it. So don't worry about it. Last thing I would do is just stay the course, put that money into a diversified portfolio of index funds that track the market, maybe, you know, pick and choose a couple sectors that I'm extra passionate about, but that's it. I like it. I have $10,000 in credit card debt and I don't know where to start. One tip. How do I get out of it? Okay. So you have different credit cards. You have all of this $10,000 debt that you've piled up rank them highest to lowest interest rate and pay it down in that order, you'll save on interest. Yes, I like that. The avalanche model. I'm all mm -hmm. about that. Okay, what is the worst investment you ever made? Just like, I bought my first designer bag and I was like, this was worth it. This was 10 <laughs> out of 10, 11 out of 10 worth it. It was the best thing ever. And it really nailed home the fact that like I could earn money and I could buy something that really, really validated and I enjoyed. I would say worst decision was bag number two. Okay, which type of bag was it? <clears throat> so it was a you know these bag. questions are coming i know why i sell how much it, was it it's like 2500 bucks okay it All wasn't right. crazy not, i mean but the reason yourself but the reason why it was the worst bag is because i thought that i was going to feel as good about that bag as i did my first bag mm -hmm. and i didn't mm -hmm. for that first bag it was a black leather prada bag i had researched that bag for like six months i found the exact like make model that i wanted yep. and i was like this is the perfect bag i'm gonna have it that ysl bag was when i had started making a little bit more money and it was literally just a Saturday, a weekend. Mm -hmm. I was walking through Soho. I saw it in the window of the YSL. Yep. I walked in and I bought it. And then when I got home, I was like, fuck. <laughs> this doesn't even have like the little pocket slot for my phone. This isn't even big enough to fit like my keys. Like it was just like, I was like, you should have thought this one through. Okay. And I didn't. Impulse purchases, it happens. <laughs> you identified what it was. You yep. now know what got you. You're going to prevent that moving forward. All right. What about the best thing that you got paid for? Your Emmy Award for influencing. It doesn't have to be the best dollar amount. It's not like mm -hmm. this was the biggest dollar amount. But one of my coolest things was I got paid $10,000 to play in a pro-am with Sergio Garcia, with what? BMW, and then watch the 
Ryder Cup. It was the coolest thing ever. Was it the best payday? No. Was the fact I was getting paid for that the coolest fucking thing I've ever done in my life? Probably. So I would yeah. say that's it. Would you have one of those moments that was like, this is the coolest thing. This is the dollar amount. This is what it was. So this is a very, very hot ticket. And I hope everyone listening does not hate me for this. But I am not a huge Swifty. Okay. I have a large partnership with SoFi. They have the licensing naming rights to SoFi Stadium in LA. And because of our partnership, they gave me a ticket and a plus one Mm -hmm. to the Taylor Swift concert. And so I was able to fly myself and my assistant first class lay flat stayed in a very nice five star oh my god are you it's a huge difference okay there's there's regular business where you sit and then business where you lay um but we stayed at a really nice hotel we went to sofi watched taylor swift in the box the chicken tenders in the box always taste better um and it was just like a wonderful evening and like even though i'm not a huge swifty myself like you can tell how much production value went into that show Mm -hmm. and it was Mm -hmm. like a huge experience and i just felt really grateful because you know Taylor Swift tickets, like people were literally like taking out second mortgages on their home they to were. like go see that yeah. concert. And I got to go for free. For free. And that ticket was probably like 10,000 yeah. and you got two of them. So there's that. Yeah. And it was huge, huge demand. Let's, let's end with this one. A lot of people that follow you are looking for personal financial tips. There's confusion. Mm-hmm. They don't know what's next. What are you most worried about given the current economic client, what the yeah. future will be? For the people that follow you in the personal financial sector what are you most worried about my biggest fear is social media because back in our parents generation your parents were like take their binoculars and look out the front door and be like oh the joneses they just got a new tv like they <laughs> suck i hate them we have to go get a big screen tv now the joneses are the kardashians we're watching everybody on our little screens now and there's this constant need to feel like you need to keep up And I think it's crazy because I know some of my friends who make less than six figures Mm -hmm. who only take Uber Blacks, who go out to eat every single meal, who are, you know, are renting places that are more expensive than places I rented when I was making that amount of money. Mm -hmm. And I think just like this lifestyle inflation is getting worse and worse and worse, all while people's financial situations are also simultaneously getting worse. So... I do think there needs to be like a come to Jesus moment Mm -hmm. where people are like, okay, we need to actually like temper expectations and like approach reality that like you cannot be doing all of these things all at once. You can afford anything, but you can't afford everything. And I do think like this next generation is very much, as they say, Delulu when it comes to this. And at a certain point, like you're going to reach a breaking point Yeah, because unless you're making more and more money, you're not gonna be able to keep up with that. Can't. You're never gonna be able to keep up with that. Can't. That's that's a good piece of advice. I couldn't agree more with you, especially now, which is where inflation is, interest rates are, the cost of everything. I mean, life is becoming- Eggs are like $10. Eggs, eggs are $10. Life is becoming unaffordable. And the problem now is that if you made those bad decisions, let's call it 10, 20 years ago at 0% interest and credit cards were at you know 5 to 10%, it was one thing. You make those bad decisions today and you get stuck in a snowball of You'll 20, get 30, 40, 50% interest, you're not, you're not going to get yeah. out. And I, I couldn't agree more with you. But let's wrap with this. Your trading secret, one piece of advice people can only mm. get you from you, Vivian. It could be for your book. It could be a personal finance it could be career navigation life advice it's one trading secret what can you leave us with yeah um i would say to everybody listening that i think a lot of us fear 
being seen as stupid or underestimated or overlooked or all of those things i hate to break it to you that's already happening like mm. all of the things that you're worried about are already happening you have nothing to lose you should do that thing you're afraid of ask for that promotion raise your hand in that meeting mm -hmm. do all of the things that you are afraid of because somebody out there already thinks that about you but what someone else thinks of you is none of your damn business yeah don't totally worry about right. what they're thinking about worry about what you think of yourself yeah. and when you do that, when you focus on your own journey versus what someone else thinks of you, you'll be way better off. And I say that as someone who's experienced it. I had a girl DM me my own video when I first started yeah. with like the note was like, oh, she's so cringe. And it was clear she had meant to send it to someone else, but she sent it to me. And I was like, you dumb bitch. But no, I didn't say that. I was yeah. like, mm, I think you meant this for someone else. Yeah. Like, like, you know, and sure. she immediately saw it and like unsent it like of girl course. i already saw it yeah, yeah, like yeah. and she was like oh she was like oh, i was like oh my god i was just like joking haha -ha. and i was like you're good yep but like i'm not worried about what she's thinking because i'm laughing all the way to the bank while she's still at that job she hates exactly i think most people are judging for two reasons it's eternal longing you have something that they want or it's internal resentment they see something in you they resent about themselves and you're killing it you keep doing your thing everyone out there if you feel like you are worrying about other people's judgment don't let that stop you and i like what you said is that if they're you're worried about people talking shit or judging you they or, are they already are yeah. they probably are so if they're gonna talk shit why not do it while you're happy what you're doing and not yeah. worrying about what others think. Vivian Tooth, thank you so much for being on Trading Secrets. We are going to buy one copy of Rich AF right now. Go to the reviews, give us five stars, tell us your biggest takeaway from Vivian, and we have one copy to give away. Where can people find everything you have going on and your book, Rich AF? So you can find me across social media as your Rich BFF. And if you are interested in reading Rich AF, you can go to richaf.me. Yes, I made the URL a manifestation. <laughs> um, and you are able to pre-order a copy. I hope this really, really helps everybody who has no idea where to start, um, really, really revamp their finances to a point where they can finish the book and say, I am financially stable. Yes, I love that. Yeah. Rich AF, your rich BFF, Vivian too. Thank you so much for being on Trading Secrets. Thank you so much for having me. Ding, ding, ding. We are ringing in the bell with the one and only, the Curious Canadian. He is our BFF, but is he our rich BFF? That is something we will talk about because we just had the Your Rich BFF podcast. She is a monster on social media, clearly an absolute behemoth when it comes to earnings and crushing this space. But David Ardwin, what are you thinking? What are you seeing? What questions do you have? My BFF from Your Rich BFF. To just kind of set the tone here, okay? She had okay. some very good tips. She had some good strategies. We're going to touch on those later. But you know what, Jay? I just got a vibe from her. And the vibe was, you know, we're all about reflection. We get deep. I think we got a little humility. I'm questioning if your rich BFF, if Vivian, is a little too much about the money. Now, I know we're a money, <laughs> I know we're a money podcast here. But I like a little bit of perspective. I mean, she, this girl, good for her, right? I mean, for every job that she took when she went to college, out of college, she was gung-ho. It was about the dollar cents. I like the fact that she could have be bold and, and stand up to that and say that's really all she cared about. But do you have, have you, did you feel that you've been in her shoes before? I definitely have not. Cause I've never made a, a life decision based off money. I just got a little bit of, a little bit of heebie jeebies 
from the intensity of the money motivation <laughs> from our rich BFF. I want to. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Well, here, here's what I'll tell you. In the business space, especially the finance space, there are certain people cut from certain cloths with all different personalities from A to Z. And what I'll tell you is that her personality type a lot different than yours, David. So I could see what you're saying, but one of the things you got to know is that. The people that come on this podcast that are super, super outliers within whatever they do um, have a certain cut to them. And when I look at her, her just her overall resume, she went to the, one of the best business schools in the world. So clearly, all of her discipline and due diligence and intelligence was by far exceeding every expectation before she was 18. She then goes to a school where she's now with the smartest people in the entire planet trying to exceed expectations at the age of 21. She then steps into the world of Wall Street, where you have the smartest, craziest, individuals that are so that will do anything for success. And she talked a little bit about being a female in that space and how difficult that was. And then on top of it, she transitions, gets into content creation. Um, she told me what her earnings are for this year after we recorded. I promised I would not share this, but holy shit, good for her. And my point in saying that is she has achieved massive massive, massive, massive success in this space. And so I think about it like Forbes 30 under 30 content creator and all these, all this recognition. I see what you're saying, especially for someone like you listening to this. However, I will throw in the curveball to say, one, I really enjoyed her, especially off camera. She was amazing. But two, you don't get to your rich BFF level without that type of cut. You just oh, yes. Facts. And what she's done is incredible. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but I was thinking as a coach, right? You coach the most talented players at the 16 level in the world, right? Or at least in the United States or North America at hockey. You see these guys. They're all cut different. I'm sure the, the one to five that have been like the best that have ever come through your program, you know? Maybe they personality-wise, they weren't your favorite, but some of their routines and what they do. She's making a couple sticks a year, couple mil, couple schmill. We know that. I just wonder if she meets me for the first time, is she going to judge me? Because she's she's money. All she cares about is money. It's how she, you know, it's how she values things. It's how she I'm not I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I'm just wondering, is she stopping and smelling the roses? That's just my question for her. And I want to make sure that she's stopping and smelling the roses because here at Trading Secrets, we do appreciate the financial juggernauts that our rich BFF supplies and her drive to where, where she is. But I just want to make sure, Jay, I'm just looking out for her. I want to make sure that she's... There's a way to answer this question, David. Next time you're in New York City, we get a little get-together. Me, it. you, your rich BFF. Maybe we jump back on the ones and twos. Maybe she offers some advice and you could see if, you know, you can you could help her. Maybe we do it and I, and I, dupe, <laughs> and I dupe myself as like, a, like I'll wear a suit and like do my hair up and just mm. douse myself in cologne and put on this. And just mm. see, you know, see what the see what the feels are. See if I get a little different vibe from her. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but turn the page, David. All right. She did give some amazing tips that she came right out of the gate with. Three tips for children to get rich. I think I want to start there. Just rapid fire them really quick. If you feel like you want to go more into detail, go more into detail. Three tips for children to get rich. One, make kids authorized users on their credit cards. Two, the 529 account. And three, opening up a custodial Roth IRA. I don't know what a custodial Roth IRA is, so you might want to touch on that one. Making kids a co-signer on your credit card. Absolutely genius. But 
fuck me. <laughs> if you are taking on that risk and you are taking on that liability, you better never miss one payment. I want people to do it. I need them to do it, but don't you dare jeopardize your kids. So make sure yep. it's a benefit. And if you can't be honest with that and you can't say in the mirror, dead ass in your eyes, this kid will benefit from this only. Do not do it because I know a lot of kids that got screwed doing it. Second one, the custodial Roth IRA. Essentially what it is, is it is for children. It's it's an IRA that is created and started by a parental for a child, and it is funded with children's post-tax dollars. That is income tax and other applicable taxes are already removed. So this is why when your child is then ready to withdraw this money for retirement, they won't have to pay the income tax on it like other traditional IRAs. That's why if you think about it, if I had a kid and I paid my kid, they would be receiving income. This would be post-tax dollars. So it gives them a huge advantage. And what do we know about investing, David? There's one thing that everyone has a unique advantage of, especially if you start early time. So if you started as a young kid, you're in really good shape. And then the 529, like every plan, David, there's pros and there's cons to everything that's out there. And there are alternatives. But the 529 plan for education is just amazing, right? And I think some of the tax advantages are are just tremendous when used for qualified educational taxes. And again, time is on your side. So if we lay out some of the advantages and disadvantages, you can contribute a lot. It's very flexible. You can, it's very easy to open and maintain. There are tax-free withdrawals, tax-deductible contributions. Some of the disadvantages you could be limited with what investment options that you have, but that's you know going down the road. The other thing is you got to understand the fees; they change per state. You know, there's some restrictions on when you're moving investments or changing investments, and it's very limited that it must be used for education, right? So that's something to be aware of. But in general, it's a great, great plan, especially going especially road. if your son's going to be a full ride Division One athlete and he has a bunch of money in this, you can roll it into a 35k into a Roth IRA that we learned. About today too. Yeah, oh, exactly. Don't know what sport yet, but that's that's the goal. I actually started a five twenty nine <laughs> for him too. So I actually, you know, every so everyone, every trading secrets, things come up where I can give myself a little pat on the back because some other things looking for my crypto still and some other things that we know that the curious Canadian may not be on top of his game about this this one I am. So I feel good about it. Well curious Canadian money mafia might be listening right now and they might be saying, Wow, if David could do that's it, I'm doing it. How did you do it? Family okay. friend who uh looks after our life insurance and those things and he said this is like a no-brainer. You got to do it. He sent me over the paperwork. I took his word for it. I have a Roth IRA myself. You know, taking care of college is something that's very important. So that's that's just what we started. It's what we're doing here. And then you'll just contribute. You'll and then you'll just contribute monthly, quarterly, annually. All the birthday monies and like baptism monies and Christmas monies. That's all going in. That's just going in there. Plan for Carter. So feeling good about it. You know what else I feel good about? You said, do you have any tips for our listeners today to get wealthier faster? And I feel really good about this because everything she said, the three points she said, we've talked about at length on this podcast before, which means we are doing something right. Ask for a raise, 10 15% every single year. If you're not getting a raise every other year, you're losing 50% of money you can make over your lifetime. Two, credit utilization. Talk about increasing your limits. I think we just talked on that two or three recaps ago. Three, talking about money together. That's what we do here. That's what we do here. That's why it was made. Talking finances amongst your peers, amongst your coworkers, amongst your family, amongst your friends. 
fired up. David, it's a beautiful thing. We are checking the boxes at Trading Secrets and we have the Your Rich BFF approval that what she's saying, we are saying and we are doing. We are all about that, baby. Other than setting you and Your Rich BFF for a follow-up on Trading Secrets, do you have anything else you wanted to close yes, us with, David? Yes, I do. And it, it, this is just one of those things that's just kind of like an aha moment. The story of her fiance who went to a state school in Iowa with no direct path to Wall Street, who wanted to get a job on Wall Street, to hear the story how he networked with guys from the same fraternity at those Ivy League schools and which set up coffee and go out of his way and and insert himself in that realm to get noticed. It's just, I'm not saying that you have to go home and do that, but I'm saying that you have to be, if you want something, just go get it. Be creative, be resourceful. Be investable. We talked about that on the Gina K episode. Be investable. Just just put yourself out there. Believe in yourself. What's also nice is we echo a lot of the same things. In my uh, book, The Restart Roadmap, which was uh, published in 2021, 2022, I actually talked about doing exactly this. You have to know who your connections are connected with. The easiest way to do that is go to LinkedIn, see the people you're connected with, go see who they follow, ask those people for introductions. Warm introductions will always get you ahead of a cold call or a cold application. So there are ways to do it. Find angles and shortcuts to get to the people you need to get to because in this world, if you are not taking them, you will be cut and you will be left behind. David, I got something from the influencer closet to give away. Are you ready for this? Love, I would love for this to happen. All right, let's go. So guys, make sure to give us five stars. Subscribe to our podcast. It helps us tremendously. Just hit the subscribe button. Follow us on YouTube. Follow us on our Facebook page. Follow us on our Instagram page at Trading Secrets Podcast. Right now, every episode in the recap, we give something away from the influencer closet. So we are doing a giveaway. How to enter? Just give us five stars. Your biggest takeaway from the episode and or a guest that we should have on. This one comes from Jay Flynn 922. Education and fun. My favorite part is that every episode, the guest seems to have a combination of excited things to talk about with numbers behind their success and somehow partially uncomfortable. It's great to listen to them open up and realize the drive they had to get them to where they are. For me, I appreciate that while social media is a highlight reel, the people behind the accounts are working hard to get where they are, just like normal everyday folks. I also leave the episode with some sort of life application while getting my guilty pleasure listening to the insights of quote-unquote celebrities. I love it. Thank you for that review. Make sure to send us your address to tradingsecrets at jasontarek.com and we'll send you something from the influencer closet. David, you got anything before we wrap? I'm looking forward to meeting Vivian in New York City and just feeling the intensity of the, the money motivation. You know, I could use a little bit of that in my life. David, before we wrap, do you know what tomorrow is? Of course I do, Jay. Okay, well, I was waiting for something. Happy birthday to Yay! you. Happy birthday, <laughs> birthday to you. Jason. I'm old as fucking shit. Yes. Woo! Yes. It's October 24th. That's my birthday. So I hope you guys have a great week. Hopefully I can send you some of my birthday energy your way. Let's go. Give us five stars. And thank you for tuning into another episode of Trading Secrets, one you couldn't afford to miss. Bringing that money.